Join me tonight, if you would, in the book of Zechariah, and I'd like to read a verse in Zechariah chapter 13 before we go to Zechariah 14. In Zechariah 13, it just shares this in such a dynamic way, the gospel as Zechariah preached it during his time. This revelation had been given to him, this word had been given to him, this message had been given to him, and in there, he is permitted to share with us the good blessings of the, that fountain. As it tells us there, in that day there shall be a fountain open. And I believe Zechariah knew something about what that fountain was. That he was a believer. That he understood uh, the things of grace. And he understood that God is mighty and saves as he pleases. And he probably had some issues, difficulties with some understanding some of this, just like we do. But it is a spiritual thing. Let's finish that verse. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We have the specific people that are minded about this. And then it says this is what it's for, for sin and for uncleanliness. So it's a tremendous statement about the gospel, the blood of Christ, and who it's for, and, and that so forth. Well, as we go over to the 14th chapter of the book of, of Zechariah, we're going to be looking at verse 12 today. And 12, verse 12 is much the opposite, in fact. <laughs> what, what happens when there is no grace? What happens when the gospel is not revealed? What happens when uh, the people don't see it? And uh, this, this uh, mentions in this verse of Scripture three different things. I believe they're metaphorical, I believe they're spiritual, and yet the Lord in the past and the present and probably in the future is going to affect people physically just like he describes here. But it is truly a spiritual view. And it says there in Zechariah chapter 14 and in verse 12, and this shall be the plague. Now, when we run into that word in the Bible, it's probably not the best thing. <laughs> Plague. We found, find it here, but I'd like to just stop here, keep your finger right there at that passage of Scripture, and go to a, a few other verses of Scripture in the Old Testament that share that same word, and we find it's not beneficial. When God brings a plague, now He's going to accomplish His purpose, but for the people the plague was brought on, It didn't treat them well. In the book of Exodus, chapter 9, is the first place that we find this word used. And God brings this plague, as he shares here in the book of Zechariah 14 and verse 12, and this shall be the plague where the Lord will smite. This is a plague. He's going to send a plague. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 9, we have these words recorded with regard to Moses being called on by the Lord to go talk to Pharaoh. These are the words that the Lord had prepared for Pharaoh. And here in in Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, the scripture says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart. Now, a plague on the heart, I, we, we cannot comprehend all of that. 
But he says, I will send my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, Pharaoh has been used to bossing people around. Pharaoh is a king. He's been used. His hand fell, people died. His hand raised up, people lived. And we, we're going to see that and even during the times of Joseph, that Pharaoh got upset with two of his favorite people, baker and a butcher or something like that. He's, and one of them was taken and killed. Pharaoh had him taken out. So the Lord shared this with him. I'm going to bring these plagues upon you. And then, in, uh, again, in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, we found these words written, and it's several times in the book of Numbers that this word is used, a plague, a plague specifically brought on by the Lord as he brought it in Egypt. That the, the problem that the plagues of the Lord brought on Egypt as a country and Egypt as a people. I cannot imagine what it was like. I do and am thankful when I read in the scriptures that there in where the, the Israelites were, they were protected from those great grievous plagues. And when there was the darkness, darkness you could feel, there was light in the homes. Now, I don't think that they had candles. I think there was light in the homes. Just like there was light created by God in the very beginning. They had God taking care of it, just like he did through the wilderness wanderings. There was there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And when that great darkness plague came, they had light. And it's just like the church today. The world may not look like it is light, but the church realizes without this light, I could see nothing. I would not see the benefits of grace. I'd not see the benefits of God. I was asked today, how, what happened when you were born again? And I says, I got to see a new book. I got to see a new God. I got to see a new Christ. I got to see a new salvation. Everything became new. I thought I knew all about it, but I didn't know a thing about it. Now, as we read in the New Testament, old things are passed away. And I love what Brother Henry had to say that not all old things are passed away. We still have this flesh. But behold, all things become new. Spiritual things become absolutely open to God's people. We may not understand it all, but we see some things we never saw before, and we relish in the fact that he has grace. He's merciful. He loves with an everlasting love, and he doesn't change in those things. Well, anyway, here in the book of Numbers, chapter 14 and verse 37, we read these words, Numbers chapter 14, let me get here. 14, verse 37, and it says, Even those men that did bring up the evil report, ten, that brought up the evil report upon the land, died by the plague before the Lord. Now, twice in that chapter we've just been in, the plague of the Lord came into the camp and destroyed 250 at one time, and then there was complaints going on, and the Lord destroyed 14,700 more. Now, as we follow the book of Numbers out, the end is not in sight yet with regard to God's plagues. 
He's going to destroy 20,000 at a time because they, they continued to be natural men and murmured against God. Well, we find that this is just carried out throughout the scriptures. There's several times in the Bible it's translated like we find in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 17, also a great slaughter. The word plague is translated slaughter and it's mentioned several times throughout the Old Testament over in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 17. We have this word again. And the messengers answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter. Now at this time, Israel thought that they could win this battle by taking the ark out of the tabernacle and taking it into battle. Eli dies, his two sons die, the ark is taken off, and in fact it tells us here that there was a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also know, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. So the Lord sends out this plague, sends out this judgment, sends out this uh, slaughter here in this passage of Scripture. Well, as we look, going back over to the book of Zechariah 14 now, and we're going to go past that word plague, it's a serious thing to come under a plague of God. There is no remedy. When the angels fell, there was no remedy. And when the plagues of the Lord came upon those 250 or came upon Egypt or came upon the, the 14,700, there is no remedy. Now we're thankful that Aaron stepped in and made atonement and stayed the plague. That's the only thing that will stay the plague. All right, here in the book of Zechariah chapter 14, we find going on with that verse of Scripture 14 and verse 12, it says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people. Now the modern view of this is God doesn't act like this. The biblical view is God does exactly like this. He does this, and it's, uh, I was asked, why does he do it? Because it's his right to do it. I, I don't, God's ways are higher than my ways. I can't figure it out, but he's going to do it. And he goes on to tell us here, their flesh shall consume away while they're standing upon their feet. Now, when I first read that, it looked like it just kind of melted away. But it seems like from what the words mean, they were emaciated. They were they starved to death. While they're standing on their feet, they starved to death. Well, I find in the Old Testament, there's a passage of Scripture that has to do with famine. And there shall be a famine of the word. I personally think that that has happened all through the ages. There's been a famine of the word. There's been a little, like down there in, in Isaiah, it talks several times about places where the palm trees are. And where palm trees are, there's water. And where there's water, there's hope. So little places in the desert where there's some palm trees. goes on to tell us here, And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Now let's read verse 13. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord 
shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. It's, there's no help. All right, let's look at this. It is, appears so often in the scriptures that there is a physical description, as here. And we're going to look at some passages of scripture throughout the Old and New Testament where God did some things that were just physical, but they certainly speak of spiritual things. It takes God to give us spiritual eyes. It takes God to give us spiritual sight. It takes God to give us spiritual ears. It takes God to give us a spiritual body. And without that, we're just looking at the terribleness, the description of the horrible inward decay that's caused by sin. Our body is a horrible description of what it is to be decayed by sin. I find in the scriptures that the Lord never did anything for our body except he helps restrain it. He restrains us. But our flesh was not made any better in our new birth, in our salvation. The promise is coming. The promise is coming. We will have a body like his body. And I'm, I just believe that we won't even be able to remember what it was like to be a sinner. Now we can't imagine what it was like to be without sin. But then it, we won't even have the concept of what it was to be a sinner because we will know him as he is. We will have that perfectness that God gives us in that salvation. It appears that there's no doubt that God's work in the natural realm, he created, he exercises his purpose, and he shares with us in many places, this is what I do. And most of that, what we read about here, are those that were never given faith. Judgment fell. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Now, in the end, if you can think of other places where God's judgment fell, like we're going to read about, then please share it, because I like to put it in my notes. I will not get through all my notes, and it probably won't matter. Because we will cover enough to see that what God did in Zechariah, that he is going to send a plague. He sent a plague in the past. He's sending a plague now, and he will continue to send a plague. That is the way God is going to do his business. People will shake their hands at him, and those who are serious and God never had any interest from the very beginning of ever saving them, his plague shall fall. And it will be so serious that their mouths will be shut and they will be placed in everlasting darkness. In the book of Genesis chapter 19, we read an occurrence. Abraham has a nephew down there. Now, I love when I get to the New Testament and find out about that man. Because when you read the Old Testament, you wonder and you wonder and you wonder. And you know, we do today. Is that, I wonder, and yet we read about just Lot. No one, I heard the preacher read that. He was just the only one. But you look up that word, he was justified Lot. In Sodom. Justified Lot. God justified him. God gave him the new birth. He had justification in the eternal covenant of grace. 
But here in chapter 19, after Abraham has had a visit, he has a visit with the pre-incarnate Christ and two angels. And those two angels leave, and they have a mission because God's going to destroy that place. Now, if God had that same act today, just look where he would be destroying. The same sin, sin, sin. My sister told me you cannot understand the book of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians if you don't know what the people were like in Corinth. And I says, the people are like just in the Dalles. Same exact people. Go down to Dufer. And if you want to go to Boyd, you're going to find the same people. We're all sinners without help, without hope, and without God in the world by our nature. Well, these two that leave here in chapter 19 and verse 9 of the book of Genesis, these people, these two angels come into Sodom and their interest is to deliver just Lot from the judgment. That was their interest. Now, if you notice with me that God did something to those people that wanted to have those angels for terrible acts. It says here in verse 9, and the evil spirit from the... Oh, I'm in 1 Samuel. Give me a moment. Even this thing, sometimes I punch the wrong button. First... Or Genesis chapter 19, verse 9. Then they said, stand back. These are the men on the outside. These, and they said again, this one fellow came to sojourn, and we will needs be a judge. Now will you deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. Thank God for those angels. And then it says, And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Now, I have witnessed people that were blind or nearly blind. I go into the foyer when it's dark in here, and I walk along the wall and come to the switches and turn them on. You know, and yet this blindness was so much that it covered their knowledge and ability to think about it, too. They're blind. They, they just, they're foot away from the door and can't find it. Well, this blindness is brought unto them by Almighty God. And we find the Lord said himself that he will and does strike with blindness. They're blinded to the gospel. They're blinded to the truth. They're blinded. And the Bible brings up the fact that the God of this world hath blinded them. Well, to me, religion blinds us. And if it is the devil, then he's the God's devil, and the devil is used by God to do his purpose. All right, let's travel a little further over here in the book of Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, God does something. Again, we're back here with regard to Pharaoh. In chapter 7 and verse 3, we read this. God said, 
and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, I brought this up to my mother one time when I turned to a Calvinist, became a Calvinist, and I talked to her about this, and she said, well, Pharaoh had already hardened his heart, and he just went ahead and did, did the rest. I said, no. God hardened his heart. It said here in verse 3, I will harden. This is a plague, folks. If God should do this, this is a serious plague. And he brought it on a king. Well, we find many years later, he brought another plague on a king. Nebuchadnezzar. That was a serious plague. Seven years. He was plagued by that affliction. And yet when he came out of it, he makes a great confession about our God. Whether God let him know who he was or not, he made a great confession about him. We don't read that at all with regard to Pharaoh. It says here in verse 3, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my son's sin signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And in that same chapter, drop down to verse 13, it says, And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. So the Lord imposed upon him hardness of heart, and he did exactly as the Lord said, He will not let you go. Go in, make your case, plead with him, but he will not let you go. And then in chapter 14 of the same book, chapter 14 and there in verse uh, four, we have these comments made. Again, I will set a plague. I will set a plague. He's been doing that. He is doing that. He will continue to do that. That is God in his action against those that are without true hope. He has set a plague on them. And here we find in Exodus 14 and verse four, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. Boy, you know, I think of those Israelites when they turned around and saw all the dust from those chariots, and I don't think any of them understood who actually moved on this army to come after Israel. Maybe Moses, I don't know. But it says here, going on, uh, and I will be honored among Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And then in verse 8 of that same chapter, it says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did he put in there king of Egypt? Because he shows that he can do this to the most powerful, or he can do this to the most servile. He goes on to say, And he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. And in verse 17 of that same chapter, it says, And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get my honor, me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. What did he say about all of that? They will honor me. They're doing what I have prescribed for them to do. They will honor me. In the 28th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, I wish we had time tonight to read this whole thing. I've Probably the first time in my whole life, I sat down and read the entire chapter. I says, oh my goodness. In this chapter, chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy, beginning with verse 1. Now there are 15 verses where God blesses the elect. 
And there are verse 16 to 68. He pronounces judgment on the non-elect. All those verses of Scripture. But notice verse verse 1. And take thou unto the Aaron, thy brother. I'm in the wrong. That I can't blame it onto to this uh, computer. It's my fingers. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verse 1. And it came to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Now, you know, if we read down through here and we find out this is the requirement that you observe and obey and fulfill, the church says, when did we do that? (laughs) Because we can't. The church realizes it's an impossible task to keep the law of God. There has been one that walked the face of this earth that came for the purpose of observing all the law of God. He is righteous, and by his grace, he imputes that righteousness to the church. So, in fact, in God's eyes, we are able to fulfill all the law of God because it's imputed to us. All right, let's read on here. And all these blessings shall come upon thee thee, and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Joshua, Caleb, Moses, Eliezer, a few understood what is happening here. He's describing the church. Sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. There only then can they say, I've kept the law. Our flesh betrays us. But the Spirit says in Christ, you've kept the law. You're righteous. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the spirit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind or cattle and flocks and thy sheep. Blessed shall be be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. I love the descriptive language of this. It's, what a, there's the gospel being preached here. What, the Lord takes care of all the enemies of the church, and the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee. Who's in charge of the blessing for the church? We don't raise it. He lowers it. And it says here, And upon thy storehouses, oh, the rich blessings of grace, and uh, uh, and also he that sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in thy ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by my name, by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods and in fruit of thy body and in fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy ground and the land. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong. Everything is so good. Every blessing is so good. The fruit of the ground, the fruit of the people, the fruit of the cattle. The fruit. He's using this, yes, 
physically, but metaphorically, spiritually. The Lord shall open unto you good treasures. Verse 13, the Lord shall make thee uh, make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, thou shalt also be beneath. And if thou hearken unto the commandments, which I command thee this day, and observe them, and thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left hand to go after other gods and to serve them. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto my voice. From verse 15 to the end of the chapter, here is the plagues. Nothing is left unturned. Nothing is left unsaid. Everything and every bit. There is not one good thing shared in the rest of this passage of Scripture. To those who it applies to, those who have said, yes, I have kept the law. The Pharisee outside of the temple, I thank God that I'm not like other folks. And verses 1 through 14 are to the other guy who said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 15, and it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And who's bringing them? The Lord is going to bring a plague. Cursed shalt thou be in the city and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shalt thou be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be thy fruit of thy body and fruit of thy land and the increase of thy kind. And it goes on until we get down to verse 68. Verses 15 to 68. Over and over and over and over again. The Lord's words to these folks, the non-elect, about this is the judgment, this is the plague that I will bring upon you. And you know what? God has done that. He is doing that. And he will continue to do that. It is cursed. Why did all those folks die in the wilderness? Because they believed not. They had the gospel preached unto them just like as unto us. And yet it did not profit them because they had not been given belief. And so the Lord plagued them. And he plagued them and he plagued them. And there were a few. As Isaiah brings out in Isaiah chapter 1, if it had not been for a very small remnant, we should have all been as Sodom and we should have been as Gomorrah. It's only by the grace of God. We never can lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It is only because of the grace of God. This goes on and on and on. Sometimes sit down and read this. And then delight in verses 1 through 14. <laughs> Just delight in verses 1 through Joshua, would you turn there to the book of... Uh, well, let's stop at Numbers for just a moment. Numbers again. We have went through this passage of Scripture in the past, but I want to read just uh, two verses. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. God did something... I find, as I read in the one of the minor prophets, there was Miriam is mentioned as one of the saints. Here in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 9. 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous. God spoke, it came to pass. It's going to be just a short time, and she's going to have that leprosy removed from her. She's going to be set outside. You know, the church is a very leprous body, put out, and yet received by the Lord Jesus Christ. David's little child by Uriah's wife, I like, that's what it says. You know, I would say that by Bathsheba, but no, it says, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife, another reminder to David, bear David. Well, with a, with a very grievous illness, and that's in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 15. And that baby eventually died. The Lord told David at that time, though, he says, I will not kill you. You will not die. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 5, we have the account of Naaman. Now, Naaman is the one that I go to so often. Naaman is the one. He had a leper. We back up a little bit. And there was a young maid taken in a war. By the Syrians. She was an, was an Israeli girl, Israelite. She was a descendant of Abraham. And she's taken into Naaman the Syrian's home. Well, he has leprosy, and that little girl, probably she's a teenager, said, you know, if you lived over there, I know someone that could help you. Well, Naaman went over there. The prophet didn't even go out and talk to him. Just, this is what you need to do. And I like those words, Naaman thought. What would happen? Well, anyway, Naaman is healed, and he comes back, and he offers the prophet a lot of wealth. And there is someone that keeps hearing this, and that is the prophet's secretary. And Naaman, or the prophet says, nope, nope, we don't need any of that. And no longer had Naaman turned around and left, and that prophet secretary said, uh, I think I better go talk to Naaman. Well, this is found in verse 21 of 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 25. Naaman is so interesting because he's brought up in the New Testament. When the Lord is speaking about his sovereignty, there were many lepers in Israel. Not one of them was healed but Naaman the leopard, who was a Syrian. He mentioned another thing, and they're ready to kill him over that issue. Well, here in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, So Gehazi followed after Naaman, And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, This guy's lying through his teeth. He's an unjust man. This is the same guy that was just asked to be, the prophet asked him to see all the protection he had. Well, he goes down here and said, All is well, my my master has had a couple of young men come to visit and uh, he needs some money and he needs some clothes for him. And Naaman said, great. 
verse 23. Well, as we drop down through here, we find when he went home, he hid all that stuff, and the prophet said, where you been? Oh, I've, I've been serving the Lord. And in verse 26, he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and, and sheep and oxen and main servants, manservants and maidservants? And the leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. God followed him with a plague. Now, God said that here in the book of Zechariah. There is going to be a plague. I'll send a plague. That plague is continuing on. It is it's past, it's present, and it's future. God has sent this. Now, converse of that, he sends his grace. Just as we read those first 14 verses of that chapter of Deuteronomy, you can't do any wrong. Everything will be a blessing. Everything's going to be good. And spiritually speaking, the church has never had it better. Every spiritual blessing, the blood of Christ, all of his character and attributes, all of his promises, all the covenant of grace, everything is ours, given to us. Now, our flesh is a drag at times, and we don't have the faith that we think we should have, but God has supplied the faith. Well, he continues on throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I look at Zacharias. You know, for nine months, he couldn't say a word. The angel said, since you didn't believe my word, you'll not speak until this is fulfilled. And when that baby was born and on its eighth day and they're going to name it, he reached for a tablet and said, his name is John. And his mouth was loose, his tongue was loosed, and for the rest of the chapter he tells about the one that his son will serve. Gloriously. We find in the book of Acts a king, arrogant king, consumed by a plague of the Lord before the eyes of the observers. He was eaten before their eyes. And I read about my brother Paul. We read a little bit about that this last Sunday. He said, I've seen things so much. And to keep me from bragging about it, the Lord sent me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. The plagues of the Lord are real. They are real. They have been real. They are real. And they will be real. And the real plague will be faced at that day when all those folks here depart. The true plague. This is just the leading up to it. This is the leading up to it. This is the promise I made. I'll lead up to it. But to the church, safe haven. Safe haven. Safe haven. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
and plunge beneath that flood, we lose all our guilty stains. Only the ones plunged. The rest will go into eternity in their undone sinful state forever. What a plague. Well, we're going to stop there. We could go on and on for about another hour and a half, but our time is up. And uh, we'll probably pick up with verse uh, 14 in our next study here. Our... uh,